All right, well, let's get started. Let's get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Are you hungry for the Word of God? All right, open your Bibles, Titus chapter 3. I'll be reading from the King James. Paul says here, put them in mind. In other words, remind them to be subject to principalities, powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Here's the good news. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that you affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto all men. But avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject him, knowing that he is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the warning. And Lord, we, we understand that your grace teaches us. And if we want to know more about you and increase our faith, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we're here today to hear from you through your word, Lord God, to guide us and direct us on our walk with you. Open our ears to hear what you want to share with us today, Lord God, and, and stir up our hearts. We ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I entitled this message, I'm Different Now. In chapter 1 of Titus, we saw the importance of having order in the church. In chapter 2, he stressed the importance of sound doctrine, teaching sound doctrine. In chapter 3, he shares the importance of us having good works. Good works doesn't save us, but good works are a reflection of our love for Jesus Christ. Good works prove that you've been transformed, born again. We're saved by grace, by what Christ did on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. He took the sin of the world, past, present, and future, upon his shoulders that day, and paid for our sins, rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, and offers everyone here a gift by faith, and faith alone. You take that gift to become born again, and you're saved for all eternity. It's not by works. Every religion out there, apart from Christianity, is trying to earn their way to heaven. You can't do it. The Bible tells us, that our best, our best efforts are like filthy rags. We can't work our way to heaven. You must be born again. 
And here's the good news. It's free. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, there's no gimmicks, there's no bills to pay, there's nothing you got to do for it. Just take the gift, open it, enjoy it, and let God change your life. And so I entitled this message, I'm different now than what I used to be. And you're different too. How many of you could say that you're different since you got born again? Awesome. And you know what? People see the change in your life. They see God. They see, you know, I'll tell you what. A lot of times people talk about they want to see miracles. You know, show me a sign, then I'll believe. Do a little dance for me, Jesus. You know, then I might believe. Let's see you do something spectacular. You know what the greatest miracle is? Salvation. Amen. Because what, what good is a miracle if you're still dead in your sins going to hell? The greatest miracle, I, I'm gonna, the greatest miracle, miracle is sitting right next to you. Look at the person on your right and your left. You just witnessed a miracle. Some of, the, some of the wives are elbowing their husbands. God love you. But you're changed. And you know what? And people are seeing that you're changed. I'll tell you what, it really blows me away when I see people out there in the community that aren't saved and, and they see someone that's going to our church that used to go around and just be belligerently drunk and punching people and out of control. And, and they're like, what happened to them? And I say, Jesus. Some of you were drug addicts and alcoholics. Some of you were caught up in sexual immorality. And now you've changed. Why, Jesus? The power of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is the only place where the true and living God has paid for our sins, and if we call Him into our life and we ask for forgiveness of sins and we receive Jesus, He places the Holy Spirit in us. We're sealed into the body of Christ. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Him. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to get us to the finish line. Be confident in this very thing that He that begun the good work in you will complete it. Now I know you're not growing as fast as your wife wants you, and I know your kids aren't growing as fast as you want them, but God says, I'm going to finish the work. Not you. I'm going to finish the work. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to get the believer to the finish line. And God is faithful. I know who I have believed in, and I am confident that He's able to keep that which I've committed to Him until that day. He gets me there. But meanwhile, if you really want to have fruit in your life, I'm going to give you the key to success. One word. Yield. You say yield to what? Yield to Him. Do you find yourself still trying to do it your way? I don't know, but I know I do. So many times I feel what God's telling me to do, and I'm like, yeah, but you sure about that? Do you ever question God? You ever kind of like, you know, well, you know, how about if I take this approach? No, I want you to do it this way. Hmm. Yield. Yield. I, I think of all the places in the Bible where God told some man to do something. He's like, are you sure about that? Well, you think you know more than God? 
You want a successful walk with God, all you need to do is yield. Let Him have His way. We were created for His good pleasure. What's that mean? That means when I wake up in the morning, I'm reporting for duty. Lord, what do you want me to do? I got my own ideas, but feel free to mess up my plans. I'm here to serve you. What do you want me to do? And you know what? He's faithful to tell you what to do. He might just say to you, just go be a light today and shine bright for me. Just love on everybody you can. Just, you know what? Go settle those differences with those folks. Show them that I love you. Show them that I love them. Show them that you're forgiving just like I forgave you. Oh, man, how we need more of that. And so as we come to this portion of Scripture, I, I just, I'm so reminded, I just, from about four, verse 4 to 8, I just get so excited about what God's done in our lives and the grace that He's shown us. We're saved by grace. His grace teaches us. And His grace is going to get us to the finish line. And then His grace is going to be revealed all throughout eternity. Heaven is not boring. This place, boring. You might have some good days, but the best day here on earth would be like the worst day in heaven. He's going to be revealing His grace throughout all eternity. That means you will be there 10,000 years and He will blow your mind. And you go, man, I didn't see that coming. It can't get any better than this. He goes, oh, yeah? Tomorrow, watch what happens. And so here, Paul, writing to Titus, says in verse 1, remind them. Remind them. You know, you see all throughout the Bible, remember, remember, remember. Why? We forget. You ever been at like a conference or something, a special event, somebody says something, you go, man, that is so amazing, I'll never forget that. And then 10 years later, you hear it again, and you go, man, I forgot. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you ever been to church and heard something that you heard before? That ever happened to you? You're like, all the time, Pastor Steve, you say the same thing over and over. <laughs> Praise God, you're getting it. That's actually biblical. Remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them, remind them. Why? We forget. Remember when you read a really killer verse in the Bible, and you go, man, I will never forget where that verse is. And boy, you can remember a dirty story back from high school, but I can't find that verse, but I know it's somewhere up in the corner. Because we got to be reminded that God's grace saved us. That only by His grace does any one of us get to heaven. And only by His grace do we have eternal life. Only by grace are we saved. And too many people are trying to push works on people. You'll never make it. If you're going to go after works, you'll never make it. Everything outside of Christianity is trying to appease an angry God that will not let you be successful. I, I think of Jay in, in India where they worship like over three million gods. And they're all angry. And they're always trying to appease them. And, and the, their gods are never happy. 
We serve a happy, loving, joyful God that loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. And he's already has unconditional love for you. So you're going to blow it this week. You're going to blow it next year. But you know what? He's already forgiven you. See, when the Father looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus and he, he, he's, he's, like, he's like, they're mine. Yeah, but I just blew it. I don't see that. God's paid for all your sins, even in the future. And he knows I'm going to blow it down the road, but he still chooses to love me anyway. Everything out there is total, totally contrary to that. Gods that are never happy, people who use the name of Jesus, but it's not our Jesus. My heart breaks for the Mormons and the Jehovah Witness who claim they're Christians, but they're not. Their Jesus isn't our Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean. They're the sweetest people ever. But my Jesus is not the brother of Lucifer. My Jesus is not Michael the archangel. And you know, here's the sad thing about it. They would have never gotten that from just reading the Bible because it ain't in there. They got it from a man who wrote another book about the book and twisted all the scriptures. It's the enemy trying to derail people and send them to hell. He knows he's going down. He knows his time's short. And what he doesn't want you to do is to go out and witness to any religious group and give the gospel and see them get saved. Because God wants everyone to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his life for the world. But his love's not going to save you. You've got to respond to his love. He gives you free will. He doesn't want phony love. He doesn't want to force you to love. He wants genuine love. So you have a free will to choose him or not. You can choose one of these other religions. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than Jesus. And I got to tell you, I've witnessed so many miracles of God, not just people getting saved, but actual miracles. I've watched the God, hand of God moving in amazing and powerful ways. And when somebody tells me, how do you know that you know you're saved? And I said, I just know that I know that I know that I'm saved because he dwells in me and I can't express it to you. I can't explain it to you. But the scriptures come alive to me and you wouldn't understand because you don't have what I have. And so he gives us some good reminders here. He, he reminds us to be obedient. He reminds us what we once were. He reminds us what Jesus has done for us. And then he reminds us to watch out to those who are contentious in church, that always want to argue about everything. He starts out in verse 1 to remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. What's that mean? Well, he said something similar in 1 Peter, he said something similar. In Romans 13, Peter spoke of this. Romans 13, he said the same thing as this, is that we are to obey those that are in authority. Okay? Be respectful to the police. They're out there to keep us safe. Be respectful to the firemen, the fire department. Be respectful to the politicians. Um...
An interesting thing about this is some people take this too far. When we were shut down with COVID, and we shut down like everybody because we didn't know what we were up against, right? So we shut down, but after time went on, and we started to see that it was very similar to the flu, but it was being politicized in such a way, it was being blown out of proportions that it was much worse than it actually was. And we realized these vaccines didn't work. We realized that even if you got vaccinated, you still got it, you still spread it. We realized a lot of things, and when we started to realize that this was an attack on our freedoms, Pastor Jason and I said, let's open up the church. And we opened up the church, and it was packed. We opened up, uh, our first Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, when the church was birthed. We felt like we were born again. <laughs> Everybody was hugging. It was packed. Everybody, nobody was wearing a mask. I mean, it was, uh, people were just going, I, I haven't felt this alive in months. And then some people got upset with me that weren't showing up because they said I was, I was going against Romans 13, Titus 3, and the writings of Peter. And I said, you don't understand what they're saying. You're not obeying. And I go, you need to understand that we are to obey our government and the laws of the land until they break those laws, they break God's laws, and when they break God's laws, God's laws trump them, and we stand up for truth. Amen. And I did my homework. Not only were they breaking God's law, but they were breaking our constitutional law. Why am I telling you all this? Because they're talking about shutting us down again. They're talking about you putting a mask on that they already proven didn't work. Now listen. Listen. We love you guys. We don't, we don't know everybody's condition. We don't know uh, your health or whatever. But listen, if it comes to a point where they want to shut this down and you feel more comfortable watching at home, watch at home online. If you feel comfortable coming with a mask, Wear a mask. No shame. We love you. If, you. if you'd rather not wear a mask, don't wear a mask. That's your choice. That's our constitutional right. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I told you this before, if they tell us that we have to close in this church, we will not close down. I am not going against Romans 13. I am not going against Titus 3. I am not going against 1 Peter. I'm standing up for what Peter and Paul stood up for because these very verses that they wrote, they got thrown in jail for not obeying them and put to death. And we are coming to an end here on this world where this world is getting wrapped up. Jesus is coming. And you know how he defines who are his? Is who's willing to stand up for truth. We're going to stand up for truth. Because I know our rights and I know our constitutional rights. Matter of fact, I want to read this to you if I can. It's such tiny print. This is our laws. I want you, I'm, I'm giving you this because listen. When we opened up and we were packed and some lunatic ratted us out 
I got a threatening letter from the state, from the prosecuting attorney of Kauai, telling me to send away 75% of you, put masks on the rest of you, and social distance, or I was going to prison for a year with a $5,000 fine. I ignored him. <laughs> because why? Because I know our God-given rights will not allow our government to come between us and our worship of our God. I know that our constitutional rights will not allow this. And when you've got those who are in office, what makes us different... Boy, I'm really going... Okay. <laughs> we'll get back to Titus 3. What makes this different is that we're not like any other country. We're not ruled by a king. We're not ruled by a dictator. We're a republic. We are ruled by a constitution, which, I bet you didn't know this, check this out. The government works for us. And if you want to look at all the scriptures where it says how employees should act towards their employers, they're not doing their job. That means, guess what? Since they work for us, we can fire them. It's called voting. Hello? Your vote matters. But you need to understand this, because if they try to shut us down again, and they lock those doors and they throw me in jail, I'm going to expect you to do this to get me out. <laughs> Does somebody have their phone with a flashlight? I need help. Anybody? Give me got a phone right now. Just real quick, just get me to your flashlight. I'm in my 60s, I'm falling apart. Okay, here's what it says. I know, I'm in, I'm in denial. I don't need glasses. I just need a longer arm. Okay. All items which are repugnant to the Constitution are null and void. That means that any laws they try to put out there that are against our Constitution are null and void. The affiant claims that the people have a constitutionally secured right to petition the government for redress, grievances, uh, recon, uh, re some word, it's a big word, I don't know it, as declared by the Constitution of the State of Hawaii, Article 1, Section 4. The affiant claiming to be in the private realm and not part of the government office. The affiant shares a common belief in God's naturally created immune system, has vowed not to take any vaccinations, block the breathing system with a mask, or to be forced to get and use a vaccine passport or a Hawaii smart health card. Therefore, the government workers are prohibited from forcing or or coercing the affiant or the affiant's children from taking part in any of these requirements of your policies and programs of any sort. The people having all political power, hiring servants to carry out 
the, their businesses, never granted authority to those servants to force people through their programs or provision systems that are falsely presented as law. It's hereby the affiance wish to order and demand for all parties to show in the United States Constitution, in the state of Hawaii's Constitution, where you have been granted the authority to bring this upon the people. If you fail to show these items within five days, you agree that you are working to attack the people against your trust-endangered Constitution are knowingly trespassing against the rights of the people you swear to protect as you declare in the Hawaii State Constitution, Article 16, Section 4. You further will agree to pay $100 million per encroachment against the above-mentioned rights. Thank you. So in other words, the reason I didn't respond to his letter because I kind of wanted to get arrested. Because <laughs> here, here's what it says. It says, if they shut us down and they throw me in jail, one of you is after going to get a signed, notarized affidavit to send to the governor to say, what laws did Calvary Chapel break? They won't be able to do it. They might have a lawyer call you. They might have a secretary call you. You, just, you say, hey, I didn't ask to hear from you. I asked you with a notarized affidavit signed to declare what laws Calvary Chapel has broken. They can't show any laws. And if they don't show anything by five days, they have to pay us $100 million for every encroachment they put upon us. I know. Are you like thinking new church too? <laughs> Property? So my point that I'm trying to make, which I really got off track, and I'm sorry that I'll probably be keeping you here a little bit longer, was that this, we are to obey those in authority until they break the law of God, until they break the laws that they've been committed to keeping. So all this stuff that happened over the last three years was our government breaking our laws, and because of that, they should be fired. Because, listen, God hold you accountable for the judges that you appoint. Don't tell me Christians shouldn't vote. Christians need to vote. Otherwise, we're going to get what we deserve. And so he says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Um, we could use a little help with that, right? To speak evil of no one? You really? I mean, like, no one deserves to be spoken evil of? <laughs> what he's trying to say here is he's saying, listen, it's, it's, it's don't gossip and don't slander other people. That's basic. Don't be malign. That's what he's trying to say. Because the guy that wrote this called some people out. He said, Demas has forsaken me, chosen this this, this world over, over the things of God. He said, Alexander the coppersmith, God's going to get him. Well, wait, we were just told not to speak evil of no man without facts. Too many people are blowing people up on the social media, the internet, without any facts. You hear something about someone, and you know, especially, they, they don't even care about people who are actually living really wrong 
and doing really wrong things. We don't even care about that. It's, it's like when you hear something about a, oh, a pastor or a leader, you know, immediately the, somebody who might have been blessing the community thousands of times, they, they, somebody throws out a falsehood out there and the, and the media just runs with it and destroys a pastor's career. I've seen it. So what he's saying is that because you guys have heard me call names out about pastors because I'm supposed to warn you. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to guard the sheep. I'm supposed to be a watchman on a wall. I need to tell you when there's guys out there who are not of God trying to fleece the flock for money and doing crazy things that are just wrong when they have another lifestyle, knowing that with facts, I tell you, stay clear of those people because young believers can get duped. And so that's one of the responsibilities we have as pastors. So don't speak evil at anyone. Make sure that you, you don't slander, you don't gossip, and make sure if you say anything that you have facts to back that up. Because why? Because we're supposed to be peaceable with one another. We're supposed to be gentle. We're supposed to be showing all humility to all men. And that goes back to that, that special word that I gave you earlier, yield. If we yield to God, guess what? We're going to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if we keep those two commandments, we're keeping them all, aren't we? Listen, we're saved by faith, but God said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you really love God and you really appreciate that you got eternal life and that we're going home soon, let's just be busy about the Father's business. Let's just, let's step it up. Let's turn it up a notch. Let's really kick it into gear and serve Him and, and bless others and give and love on people and forgive and help the poor and help the needy and be a light that shines bright in this community that people say, I want what you got. I want Jesus. I want the Jesus of the Bible. The one who died for my sins, who rose on the third day and offers the gift. I want that. And the evidence of your salvation is that you're loving now. You're forgiving. You're kind. You're peaceable. You're gentle. Showing all humility to all men. And then he says in verse 3, For we ourselves were also once... Now check this out. As I start to read these, just let me know if you can relate to that. Ready? For we ourselves also were once foolish... Okay. Remember, you're in church. Don't lie. Disobedient. Yeah. Uh, deceived, deceiving people or being deceived. Serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice. That means you enjoyed hurting people. Now, I know that's probably not a lot of you, but most of my staff. Envy, did you ever envy? Hateful and hating one another. I raised my hand to all those. That was what we once were. We were foolish. We did stupid things. We did dumb things. We did ungodly things. We did it because the culture told us to do it. We were seeking pleasures of our own. We weren't living for God. We, we did foolish things. We made foolish decisions. We were disobedient. 
disobedient to God, disobedient to our parents, disobedient to our employers, disobedient to others. We, we were deceived. Think about the stuff you used to believe in before you came to Jesus. And now you look back and you go, what was I thinking? And we deceived others. Oh, no, no. It, yeah, take this. It's a, it's a super good high. You won't spin out on it. You'll be fine. Serving various lusts. Before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it was all about you, wasn't it? Got kind of quiet in here. Right? What do I want to eat today? Where do I want to go? How can everybody else bless me? What about me? What about my me time? What about what I want? And you went after things. You went after whatever it was. Drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality. Just looking to have pleasure. No, no, no drive for anything good, but just for the things that are not good for us. And, and the love of God took that all away and gave you a new life. We were living in malice. Some of you enjoyed going out of your way hurting people. And God changed you. I can't tell you how many marriages that I've known over the years that were violent. Husbands hurting their wives and and you know here in Hawaii some of those wives hurting their husbands. There's some titas out here. For you guys that are visiting that means gnarly local women. And I had cases where the men were getting beat up. And then they got Jesus. And now they're in love. Serving God. A whole new direction. But we were once also hateful. Hating one another. Now, as we become Christians, we change that all around. We learn how to get around stuff. Oh, I don't hate them. I really love them. No, you don't. Your actions show you don't. Because you know what the Bible says. You can't just say, yeah, I hate their guts. You can say it to God because he knows your heart. And you can ask him for strength when you pray, Lord, help change my heart towards them so I don't hate them. But we as Christians can't get around what the Bible says. We need to change. We need to yield to God. We need to forgive because God has given us so much forgiveness, shown us so much mercy, so much kindness, so much grace. So we were once all these things. We were once disobedient. We were once foolish. We were once deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, verse 4, I love but, I love when the Lord says, but, but 
when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration of the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that good news? That's something to clap about. Whew, that's beautiful. God did a work in our life and changed us. And it's by what He did. It's not by what we do. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's our best. The Hebrew, King James said filthy rags to kind of tone it down a little because it's a little bit heavy to say in church because what the Hebrew is actually saying is our best to God is like used minstrel cloths. That's pretty graphic. Filthy rags sounds a little better. I don't feel so bad about myself. But that's our best. That, that shows you you cannot earn your way to heaven. You've got to accept the gift of God. In John 6, 28, when the, the disciples and the, the people around were asking Jesus, they said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What they were really saying was, how do we work our way to heaven? And Jesus responded and answered them and said, this is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. You want to do a work to get saved? Believe on Him who He sent. It's all about faith. We see here in these verses, too, that he calls Jesus God. He says, God, our Savior. Well, who's our Savior? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Savior, yeah, and he's our God. Because you've got groups out there that say that they're trusted in Jesus, but they say Jesus is not God. Jesus is God. He's God our Savior, and that's according to His mercy that He saved us. He gives us mercy, not justice. Is that good news or what? Why is it that we want justice for everybody that wrongs us? Why is it we want justice even for our Christian brothers and sisters? I mean, we're going to have problems. It's a church. Not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. You get fired up and you get mad at somebody in church and you sit over here and they sit over there. Make sure we go out opposite doors and never meet. That's not what God wants. God showed us mercy. He didn't show us justice because if He showed us justice, we would never make it because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus did the impossible to save us. And so He shows us mercy so we should show others mercy. We were saved by the washing of the regeneration, and that's referring to the new birth. Born again. Now, when you hear about being born again, the interesting thing is, is that we see it with Jesus speaking to a religious expert back in John chapter 3, and, and he's talking to Nicodemus. And I thought that was really interesting because we don't learn about being born again 
with Jesus talking to some crazy lunatic or talking to a harlot or talking to a tax collector or a murderer. He, he expresses it to somebody who should have known this from knowing the Scriptures. And there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. He was afraid to be seen because the religious rulers didn't like Jesus, but he was starting to see that Jesus, man, you know, was truly sent from God because he's doing miracles and stuff and he's saying stuff that's mind-blowing. So he wanted to come and get some answers, but he was afraid to come during the day. So we see here Nick at night coming to the Lord Jesus Christ at night. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and he said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered and says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes and from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and he said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak, what, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who has come down from heaven and is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So he's, he's trying to show Nicodemus that it's not works, bro. It's faith. And what example does he use? He uses an example from Numbers where the children of Israel were, were, were whining about God again. God got fed up and he said, okay, you know what? Here's some snakes. And all these snakes went through the camp and started biting people and people were dropping like flies, being bit by these vipers. And then they run to Moses like they always did. And they said, Moses, we've sinned against God. Go to God. Plea our case. Get this thing to stop. And so Moses goes to God. God says, I'll tell you what, build a a, make a, a, a snake out of brass, put it on a pole, stand it up in the camp, and tell everybody that's bit, go look at the pole, and you'll be saved. That sounds pretty stupid, doesn't it? Sounds pretty simple. Salvation is simple. See, the snake represented sin. Made of brass was the metal of judgment. On a pole, sin being judged on a pole or a cross. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus Christ on the cross, paying for your sins, dying for your sins, resurrected on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father and offering you a gift. See, the people in Israel, the, the Jews, they weren't in Israel, but the Jews, when they were bit by these snakes, Moses said, go look at the snake and you'll be, you'll be healed. And I imagine there were some saying, I'm dying here, man. You want me to go look at a stupid statue? Well, everybody else is doing it. They're, they're, here's the thing. They had poison in their veins. And God says, look at sin being judged on a pole. 
And that poison will disappear and you'll be born again, new life. God's telling you and me that we had poison in our veins. It's called sin. We were all born into it. But if you put your eyes on Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins and ask him into your life, all of a sudden that poison in us doesn't affect us anymore. We have eternal life. Amen. The renewing of the Holy Spirit begins at the rebirth and then it continues. God is changing us from glory to glory. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. God pours out an abundance of the Holy Spirit upon us and we can do all things in His power and not in our own power. Isn't that good news? Because if I do it in my power, I will mess it up, but He won't. So if I yield, right? then he can do mighty works. And he pours out that abundance of the Holy Spirit. He does that through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's all about grace. And we are heirs to his grace. We have an inheritance from God. We have rewards that are waiting and then in verse 8 he says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want, to, want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So once again he says, he reminds them. He reminds us to do good works. Works doesn't save us. But it sure shows us you've yielded to the Lord. And you're obeying what he's telling you to do. And that's important. John 15, God tells us that he is the vine. He's the resource that we all draw from. But he says, you know, if you're not producing fruit as a Christian, he's going to prune you. And sometimes that pruning hurts, but he does it in order to produce more fruit. We can't produce fruit in our own. We only can produce fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope and glory. So we yield ourselves to him, which means that we should do good works. We should be serving the Lord. We should be giving. We should be helping the poor and helping the needy because that's the evidence of a transformed life. In verse 9, he says, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Um, he says, quit arguing about stuff that doesn't matter. A lot of times you see people who, they want to argue about stuff, about a verse in the Bible, or a word in the Bible, and they act like they know something that the church for 2,000 years didn't know. But they're going to show you. Yeah, you guys haven't seen it for 2,000 years. And you know why you haven't seen it? Because it's not there. We have everything we need right here. These scriptures. We know everything we need to know from these scriptures. There's nothing wrong with having a good, healthy debate when someone has honest questions, but I'll tell you what, a lot of times I can tell over the years when someone's coming to me with an honest question or they just want to argue. Some people want to fight. He says, don't do that. It's not profitable. He says, why waste hours in contentions with people fighting over things? Why don't you just go out and tell that person, let's go share the gospel and see how many people get saved. Let's not squabble over a, a verse or something that doesn't amount to anything or affect me in any way. 
just to show that I'm smarter than you or you're smarter than me? Forget it. Let's go share the gospel. So he says, don't, don't take part in these foolish disputes and genealogies. Now, genealogies are a huge thing. In, in the Mormons, they're all into genealogies, and their genealogies are so in detailed that even the government checks in on them on bloodlines. But they believe that they can go out there and look at their genealogy and go all the way back, and if they get baptized for everyone in their family, that, 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 that somehow will move rotten Uncle Johnny, who was an axe killer, murderer, and we're going to go get baptized so he can go from hell to heaven. Doesn't work. I'm serious, guys. I'm not joking. You got, you got records of people that are Mormons that say that they've, they've been baptized over 20,000 times. They're just pulling people into the kingdom. Can't do it. I can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. I'm not trying to be mean. I love the Mormons. I love the Jehovah Witness. They're nice, wonderful people. They outdo us in works, but they got the wrong God. They need Jesus, and we need to have enough uh, patience to share the love of God with them. And show them he's not the brother of Lucifer. He's not Michael the archangel. But Jesus is God who created all things. All things were made by him and for him. And all things consist by him. He was before all things. He's not created. He's God. He's God. Don't get caught up in contentions, striving about the law. Boy, I'll tell you what. You ever have somebody try to pull you back under the law? Oh, you need to worship on the Sabbath. Oh, you need to, you know, have the dietary laws. Don't eat pork. Oh, if the sun has set you free, you're free indeed. Bring on the bacon. <laughs> and you know what? I like, I like worshiping God every day. Not just one day, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Don't let anybody bring you back under the law. He's saying that in Crete, that there were folks that were coming into the services and sitting and listening to the message, but they weren't there to bring unity, but they were there to become controversial, only to cause division and not to unify, to cause confusion, especially to new believers. And we've seen that here. I remember about a year ago, we had... Um, Two young men, two Mormons, sit in, in our service and listen to the whole service. And they said they enjoyed it, too. And I knew they were Mormons because they were the only two sitting in here with suits and a tie. I immediately just went, oh, this is good. And, and here was the great news was that that sermon was all about the gospel. And I said, what did you think about that? And they said, oh, we really enjoyed that. And they, they wanted to give me the Book of Mormon. They said, we'll give you this book for free if you promise me you'll read it from cover to cover. And I go, I don't want to read a book about the Bible. I just want to read the Bible. And they tried to tell me what they believe in, and I stopped them, and I said, listen, you know, God loves you, and he died for you, but you got the wrong Jesus. And you never would have got these ideas about what you think Jesus is from just reading the Bible. You got it because you read a book that some man derailed an entire group from the truths of God. Verse 10, he says, reject the heretic, a decisive man, after the first and second admonition, knowing that such person is subverted, that means warped, and sinning, being self-condemned. 
So my job is to find out if somebody's preaching false teachings in the church and they're trying to win people to their side. It's my duty as, a, as the shepherd, as the pastor, is to admonish them once, admonish them twice. If they won't stop doing it, i got to kick them out. Because they're, they're corrupting people. They're corrupting especially young believers. And, and so I know that sounds, where's your grace, pastor? I'm just doing what the Bible's telling me to do. So if come, somebody comes in here teaching another gospel, I'll, I'll stop him. I'll have a talk with him. If I find out he's still doing it, I'll have a talk with him again. If I find out he's doing it again, I've got to send him out. Because uh, it's a virus. And it spreads. And, and innocent people get deceived and follow it. There, there was this thing going through here about, I don't know, months ago where uh, we had a bunch of New Agers in here and God loved them. We shared the gospel with them. They got saved. They, they gave, you know, prayed. And, and we, and, but they were caught up in this New Age philosophy about who Jesus really is. And they were caught up in thinking that they said to me, the Word of God, uh, they said the Bible contains the Word of God. And I said, no, the Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Because when you say it contains the Word of God, what you're saying is some of it's God and some of it's not. And I'm going to show you which it is and which it's not. That's wrong. This Word is the Word of God. Okay? And they were caught up in these things like, you know, all the Christians that eat meat are going to hell because the Bible tells us in Genesis to eat herbs. And I said, well, what about after the flood when God says eat animals? Oh, we don't accept that. See, now you're picking and choosing. Right? And they didn't believe in the teachings of Paul. They said, we don't, we don't, we don't it, accept the writings of Paul. Well, that's most of the New Testament. And I tried to reason with them and reason with them. After a while, I just said, you've got to go. Because you're, I, I, I see networking after services and trying to pull people into this stuff. It's not godly. It's not of God. And it's not easy. Pray for me. Nobody likes contention. I don't, I don't wake up going, all right, who can I contend with today? I don't like, you know, confrontation. But I, I, I know if I don't do what God's telling me to do, God's going to deal with me. And I don't want to go to the woodshed because I didn't do what he told me to do with you. Romans 16 tells you this. Let me read this for you. This is what we're supposed to do, and this is the Word of God. It says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's why we do it. That's why we watch out. Now, as we come to the end here, Verses 12 on is basically just a signing off and Paul writing this amazing message. He says, when I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Send Zemus, the, the lawyer, so there are Christian lawyers, Apollos, and Apollos on your journey. Apollos was a great man of God. And and on your journey with haste, that they may be lacking nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. 
Amen. And so Paul warns us through these writings that there must be order in the church, chapter 1. There must be sound doctrine, chapter 2. And there must be good works in chapter 3. And the importance of dealing with church discipline to love and restore the sinner, to put out the person that causes division, and that we're to settle our differences. That's biblical. The problem is, we put the sinner out, we allow the one that causes division to stay, and we never settle our differences. And so God would remind you today how much grace He's shown you, how much love He's shown you, how much mercy He's given to you, and how much that He's done for you. So, closing in this is, grace brings us to salvation. Grace teaches us. It mentors us. It reproves us. It chastens us. And it encourages us. And it teaches us to look to Jesus for all things. To keep our eyes on Him. Amen? If the worship team would come forward, let's all stand.